You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number nine. Today we will be discussing Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29, and chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, before faith came, we were confined under the law, kept under restraint until faith should be revealed, so that the law was our custodian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, and there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no better than a slave, though he is the owner of all the estate but he is under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, when we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. In this passage, Paul seems to declare that the former barriers of ethnicity, social status, gender, and so forth, no longer exist under Christ, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. And this equality, I'll use that word if you will, allows us to receive adoption as sons. Would you unpack the significance of what it means to be sons of God by adoption? Yeah, there's a lot here, so let's start unpacking some things one by one. Uh, First of all, with respect to equality, as you said, And actually, uh, American law is a good example of what is meant in this passage if we use the term equality. Uh, It doesn't mean everyone's equal in the sense that uh, we're all the same. Uh, There will still be people who are better at this or uh, better at that than us, and we will be better than them at other things. But at least uh, theoretically in American law, everyone is treated equally before the law. When you stand before the judge in a courtroom, He or she is supposed to judge your case according to the way that you behaved and on the basis of what the law says. That's it. There's not supposed to be any weight given to whether you're rich or poor, black or white, male or female. Uh, So it is when we speak about equality here in Galatians. At the judgment seat, we'll be judged based solely on whether we follow the law of Christ. Uh, So yes, in that sense, we are all equal. So when we speak about uh, being equal before God, that means that no preference then is given to whether we are Jew or Gentile, in other words, our ethnicity. Uh, No preference is given to slave or free, what we might call today our socioeconomic status. And no preference is given uh, to whether we are male or female, our gender. So is there any significance to Paul pointing out these three types of distinctions? Yeah, I think there is a significance to that, and uh, we'll start with the ethnicity. Uh, Obviously, in the Old Testament, uh, there's a distinction between uh, Jew and Gentile. 
Uh, while the Bible begins with God as the creator of the universe and the God of all creation and all people, the story zooms in uh, rather quickly in Genesis 11 uh, on Israel. And you see Israel many times uh, at war or at enmity with their neighbors and other people groups. As we've discussed before, uh, this division is particularly pronounced at the time of Jesus because the Romans, who were of course Gentiles, were occupying Jerusalem and were not allowing the Jews to have their own national sovereignty. So there's a lot of tension there. Uh, on top of that, a Gentile is viewed as someone who is not equal to the Jew because the law had only been entrusted to the Jews. So a Gentile was not welcome at the table of fellowship with the Jew. They were ipso facto unclean. They were seen as being lesser. But as I've said before, what Jesus does, and of course uh, Paul after him, is to go in a completely different direction than the other Jewish messianic figures. Jesus uh, says, forget about fighting the Roman army with swords to get them out of Jerusalem. Let's instead convert them to the biblical message. Let's make them one community with us. It's a message of peace, not a message of enmity. And it's important to note, uh, Jesus doesn't just pull this out of the thin air. Uh, the basis for this is Scripture, the Old Testament itself. Uh, scripture begins, as I said, with God dealing with everyone. He's the God of all human beings. Uh, the term used for him in Genesis 1 is Elohim, and this gives a notion of him uh, being the universal God versus uh, the later use of the term Yahweh, which was considered uh, more of a local uh, tribal God among Semitic people. And all of these people that God has created, we see in the beginning of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, they fall away. As I said, uh, the story then narrows in, uh, in chapter 11 of Genesis, on the Jews. Uh, they're given the law of Moses uh, later on, uh, but they too, even with these detailed instructions, fall away, and the situation uh, just becomes a mess. But God then, through the prophets, promises to send his Messiah to redeem his people. But part of that promise is that when he redeems Israel, he will also redeem the nations, again, also his people that he had created. So Jesus and Paul, uh, they're not just making this up themselves, they're being scriptural. So I'm already seeing a continuation of a theme that we've discussed in previous episodes, one that illustrates that all of scripture is connected and that there is not some divide or break in teaching between Old and New Testaments. I'm, I'm glad you've picked up on that, uh, th you know, that connection between Old and New Testaments, uh, because it definitely is there. Uh, but getting back to our passage from today, uh, we can also look then at the slave and the free being treated uh, as equals. And that's an easy concept uh, to understand, I think, but obviously still very radical uh, for Paul to make this statement. I mean, no one really thinks that the slave is on the same level as the free man in the Roman Empire. And honestly, it's really not at all that different for us today. While most of us uh, pay lip service to saying that a poor person is equal to us if we're not poor, uh, we very few people truly deeply uh, in their heart really believe that it's hard we have to overcome uh, our natural instincts and our tendencies but one thing I I really like to point out that's radical with Paul is uh, the whole issue of uh, male and female uh, the separation there at the time of Jesus between male and female uh, is so far removed from most of us alive today uh, we live in a society where women have essentially the same opportunities as men. Uh, you, you do hear people talk about a pay gap, and that's something 
uh, I don't want to get into right now. But my point is that we're very far removed uh, from the way women were viewed during Paul's time. Uh, a woman was uh, essentially the property of, of a man, first her father and then later uh, her husband. Uh, she didn't have the same rights as the man would have. And in Judaism, uh, a woman is Jewish by becoming uh, part of the Jewish family. Uh, the sign of being uh, Jewish at the time of Jesus was male circumcision. Uh, so what to me is interestingly uh, radical with Paul here is that a woman can actually be baptized. Uh, a woman could become a Christian even if her husband did not. She wasn't just Christian by association. She was Christian because she made the choice to follow Jesus and his teaching and to be baptized into his community of believers. And according to Paul, uh, they too, women too, uh, could be called children of God. That's very helpful. So if we get back, if we circle back to the original question, what does it mean to be sons of God by adoption? Well, there's really uh, two terms being used in that phrase uh, that are important. Uh, the first is the phrase sons of. To say someone is a son of something is to say uh, what they're like. It's really a statement about them. It's not a statement uh, about their biological parent. Uh, for example, I'm pretty sure our listeners uh, will know how to finish the phrase if I say someone who's being a pain in the rear is a son of a you-know-what. You can finish that phrase in your head. If someone were to say that, they're not actually making a statement about that person's mom. Uh, they're making a statement about them, the way that uh, that person is behaving. Uh, so that's the first part of the phrase. We're to behave like God. Uh, that's how we can properly be identified as sons of God, is to be like Him. And to be like Him is to deal graciously with all people, trying to restore them to God, not allowing our prejudices of ethnicity or gender or socioeconomic status to get in the way. Uh, the second part is the adoption part, and I really like this because uh, my wife and I, as you know, Jason, have a daughter who's adopted. And we feel exactly the same about her as we do about the three children that we have that are biological children. Uh, there's no difference in, in how we view them or treat them. So I really enjoyed learning about uh, the significance of this term of being adopted as uh, sons of God. In the Roman Empire, uh, a Roman patrician, that is to say someone who was of the upper class and had people beneath him, uh, could actually take to himself, could adopt children of the slaves and make them his own. Uh, this was usually done uh, according to the needs of the household. But in any case, uh, there was a ceremonial process where the child, including his own biological children, if I understand it correctly, uh, would be presented to the patrician, and he would look them over and either place them on his knee or reject them. Now, uh, the word knee in Latin is genu, and this is where in English we get the word genuine. Uh, if the patrician put the child on his knee, his genu, uh, then they were genuinely his child. Biology and DNA didn't matter. All that mattered was whether the child was set on his knee, which meant uh, that the patrician was accepted, uh, had accepted this child as a son or daughter and all the responsibility that comes with that. And in this respect, I, I think modern advances in, in DNA are regrettable because, uh, you know, you have uh, people who find out their parents, quote, aren't really their parents. Uh, but as far as I'm concerned, your true parents are the ones who raised you and groomed you and loved you. 
uh, it really shouldn't matter whether you uh, share the same DNA. You're still a genuine child of your parent if they uh, set you on their knee, so to speak. And so what this all means from the perspective of Paul's passage today from Galatians is that all of us, uh, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, male or female, we all are children of God via adoption. Uh, No one can claim to be a so-called natural or biological child of God and then try to hold that over someone else's head. You have to be adopted. You have to be set on the knee. And anyone can be set on the knee if they put their trust in God, or as it's translated here, if they have faith in God. Practically speaking, what that means is you can't show up and say, hey, I'm a certain ethnicity, so I'm a child of God. So in verses 26 and 27, St. Paul references both faith and baptism. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Is Paul making a connection here between our salvation and our baptism? Well, that's a a bit of a tricky question because uh, Paul's dealing, of course, with the ideal. And and sure, ideally, salvation and baptism are perfectly linked. Uh, I'll talk about that some more in a a second. But we need to make clear that uh, being baptized does not mean you will enter uh, the kingdom of heaven after the great and final judgment. In fact, if you, if you listen to the prayers at the Orthodox uh, baptism service, for example, uh, there's a constant reminder that we need to continue uh, to live out our baptismal vows. Uh, so we'd be mistaken uh, to think that we can show up at the Great Judgment and pull out of our back pocket you know, our baptism certificate and, and think that all is well. That's just not the case. A baptism was and is uh, the initiation rite of Christians. Uh, it's how one becomes a Christian formally. Uh, But notice that word, initiation. It's just the initial step. It's the beginning. Uh, Yet at the same time, we have to keep trying to go back uh, to the purity of the beginning. We have to continue to try to live out our baptism. So what do you mean exactly when you say that we have to go back to the the purity in the beginning? Well, what I'm I'm getting at is uh, the symbolism in baptism. And there's a couple of important things there. Uh, Number one, uh, it's an act of grace. A a baptism is something that's done to you. You don't baptize yourself. Someone else does it. Uh, And it's symbolic of Christ uh, first offering salvation to you. Uh, Another way you might say this is that uh, you receive uh, baptism. You don't acquire it on your own. Uh, Second, you have the symbolism of washing, uh, the water washing you clean. And traditionally, in the ancient world, uh, people then after their baptism, are dressed in white for 40 days uh, to symbolize that uh, cleanliness. And in addition to that, you have uh, the symbolism of death and being raised uh, to walk in newness of life, as Paul mentions uh, in the epistle to the Romans in the sixth chapter. Uh, you're, you're dunked completely underwater in your baptism. If the person doing that doesn't lift your head back up, you die from drowning. So there's that uh, symbolism of death. And this death, of course, is not a physical death, but a spiritual death. Uh, A death to living like every other biological being, just trying to survive and procreate. Uh, Because all other biological beings live uh, essentially according to instinct. You attack those who might hurt or uh, bring down the group. Uh, You're resistant to outsiders or others that are different, you know, things things of that nature. But in baptism, you die to that. 
uh, and that way of thinking. And you're raised to walk in newness of life. You're raised to live, as St. Paul said in this passage you read today, to treat other ethnicities, people of other uh, socioeconomic statuses, people of different genders, as your equals, as your brothers and sisters. And the only way that we can live like that is to have faith or trust in God's promises. Because if we truly live as God tells us to live, uh, then it doesn't always look like it's going to work out well for us in this life. Again, there's a biological risk with being kind uh, to those who do harm to you. There's a risk in taking care of people who are down and out and sometimes a little bit strange. And sometimes you put a lot of work, a, a lot of effort, even a lot of money uh, into those uh, types of causes, and perhaps it looks like you're accomplishing nothing. Uh, perhaps even people will scoff at you and think you're wasting your time and efforts. They might even enjoy the things of this world more than you do. Uh, but it's on the basis of faith, putting our trust in God and His promises, that we enter the waters of baptism to die to these things. And again, uh, to quote St. Paul from Romans 6, to walk in newness of life. Thank you, Father. In today's episode, we discussed St. Paul's declaration of equality and what it means to be sons of God by adoption. Father Aaron explained that, as is ideally the case in our judicial system in America, that we will be judged only by whether we follow the law of the land and not preferentially based on our social status or gender or ethnicity. So too, as we stand at the judgment seat, we are to be judged solely on whether we followed the law of Christ. No preference is given to Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. In breaking down the barriers between Jew and Gentile, we were reminded that Christ brought his message so that all might be saved. To be a son of God by adoption, we are to be like him in all things, to be gracious to all people, and to not allow our prejudices to cause us to stumble. Not one of us may claim to be a biological child of God. We must be adopted. And finally, in discussing Paul's reference to our faith and our baptism, we were reminded that baptism is an act of grace. It is received, not acquired. It is symbolic of Christ offering us salvation, of a washing of our sins, of a spiritual death, all so that we may be raised to walk in newness of life. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.